Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Dustin Fuse and I are recording this podcast on Monday, February 17th. Um, <laughs> I apologize for the slight Crypt Keeper impression going on here, folks, but, uh, and I apologize, it's been more than a month since our last podcast, which we posted back on January 22nd. But that's not Dustin's fault, folks. In fact, you've been paying attention to his podcast, We Like Theme Parks. He's been going great guns with that one. They've been posting new shows every week like clockwork since the first of the year. So we're not here. Go check those out. Yeah, we, we've actually been doing that for, uh, we're, I think this morning we put out uh, episode 42. And it's one of those things that you don't realize until you get after, I don't know, 30 or so. And you're like... Okay, now what? But there's always more news, always. So it, it's been a blast. But yeah, I've I've been missing you. I gotta gotta admit, it's been you know a little bit of time. And I'm like, but I want to talk to Jim. So that that's where this is. I, well, I'm very excited to be able to catch up with all the Universal news. Okay, well, as for that slight pause, folks, again, you you're hearing the reason. Uh, that's a couple of weeks back. I caught that cold that's going around. The one that's supposed to take 21 days to completely get out of your system. And as you can tell from uh, my voice, we're about a week away from that. But yep, day uh, fourteen. <laughs> yeah. So, but we're we're gonna try to still knock out a show here. So, uh, again, apologize for the the lengthy hiatus. But and, and in fact, to be honest, immediately pivoting to our first news item, I feel like a whiny baby man for bringing up my throat issues. When you think about what's going on with the coronavirus, all right. So as of today. There have been over 71,000 confirmed cases, most of those in mainland China, 1,775 confirmed deaths. And at one point, China had 50 million of its citizens uh, mm -hmm. in more than a dozen cities locked down in quarantine in, in, in an effort to, to bring COVID-19. By the way, that, that's how the World Health Organization six days ago announced that they'd, they'd like us to, to start talking about this it's COVID-19 is the official designation. But anyway, they've been trying to bring it under control. And what's kind of interesting is that given everything that's at stake here, I mean, think about a Chinese position of the world stays, the Chinese people's trust in their government, not to mention this country's overall impact on the global economy. China's kind of desperate with the best possible face, you know, forward in this still evolving situation, which... Dustin, brings us to yesterday's kind of weird press release. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, now, now just to sort of set this up. All right, so think about this. You remember the entertainment press. And, yes. you know, Shanghai Disneyland, out of an abundance of caution, and to support the efforts to suppress coronavirus, uh, it shuts down back in January 25th. And Hong Kong Disneyland, the very next day, it closes. And... And what Disney, by the way, is telling the investment community, it's entirely possible that its two China theme parks will not be able to safely reopen for two months. Oh, wow. And again, as they, they explain it, that could mean a $175 million hit to the company's bottom line. But you know, remember, there's also Universal Studios Beijing. That project broke ground uh, back in October of 2016. It's a $6.5 billion resort theme park complex uh, built on 130 acres of land. But, you know, as you and I have talked about, Dustin, you know, the, the opening date of this park is slid from 2019 to 2020 to now it's supposed to open 
in May of 2021. But at the, the same time, when you think about it, when so many weak workers are being forced by government edict to stay home until this national health crisis passes, people like you and I, Dustin, cover the themed entertainment industry, just began to inquire about, you know, whether this latest setback was was going to mean that Universal Studios Beijing was going to have its opening pushed back yet again. And now, again, to explain, this project is is largely funded by the Beijing Shuhao Cultural Tourism Investment Group. Okay, uh, they put up the, the, the bulk of the $6.5 billion to build this place. And Comcast, NBC Universal, they provided the expertise, uh, more to the point, the IP that this theme park and resort could be built around, as well as a small chunk of the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so long story short, it's the Beijing Shuhan Cultural Tourism Investment Group that has assumed the bulk of the risk here. So when, when people began asking about whether or not, you know, what's going on with Universal Studios Beijing, is it going to make its May 2000, you know, 21 opening? They, they issued a press release where it's like, hey, you know, construction of theme park is supposed to be completed by the end of 2020. The attraction and ride equipment is is right now being installed and buildings which house the uh, Universal Studios Grand Hotel, the new resort and the Universal City Walk Beijing have already been capped. Um, and that when this theme park opens, thanks to the partnership with Alibaba, Universal Studios Beijing will feature technological innovations such as facial recognition admissions uh, and app-based food ordering. And the the principal goal of the coming year, uh, once, of course, the quarantine and travel bans are lifted, is to recruit and train the 14,000 employees necessary to properly staff this uh, theme park and resort, so which is still on schedule to open in May of 2021. So, long story short, nothing to see here. Move along, you know. And, and if anything, wow. you know, uh, what was particularly interesting is they actually then pointed people to the story that ran in today's New York Times about how there are tourist destinations in Europe because the Chinese people aren't traveling now because of the travel vans mm-hmm. that, that are suffering tremendously. They, they don't have the bodies to operate those places. It's like, so, you know, as far as the, let me get the name right again here, the Beijing Shuhan Cultural Tourism Investment Group, as far as they're concerned, it's like, you know, why aren't you guys reporting on that story? Why are you talking about whether our theme park is going to open on time. So, yeah, um, it's it's very interesting looking at these types of things because, mm -hmm. you know, Universal didn't choose to have this epidemic, Mm -hmm. you know, thrust upon them and they're working around it. But there's only so much that as a, you know, a cultural tourism investment group Mm -hmm. uh, can can put together. They I see this throughout Toronto because we had to deal with SARS. You know, a, a number of years ago, and during that time period, everything just shut down. Mm-hmm. It wasn't misinformation. It was just people were taking precautions that meant that instead of doing a vacation around uh, the world and to see all these amazing sites, they did staycations. Mm. And it made sense. But now what we're seeing is uh, an epidemic that is being translated into, you know, amazing stories out there in the the major news organizations, things like that. The 10-day hospital that was built 
from, you know, the ground up just to uh, take control of, you know, uh, the Mm COVID-19. And yes, we're talking about a universal theme park, which is, you know, we we tend to escape reality Mm -hmm. when something like this is going on. But I got to admire their, you know, just putting out... (laughs) a press release saying that we're still on schedule and don't worry, you know, we're still going to get these 14,000 employees to, to properly staff this, this theme park. But I got to, you know, put a, a little bit of caution out there where, you know, what's the last part of any theme park? Well, it's all about the training and the development. That's a lot of hands-on work. And when we're talking about hands-on, you're going to be around people. You're going to be, you know, doing soft opens, you're going to be dealing with a lot of things. So that that is something that came to my mind when I saw this story. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big thing coming to that area. Well, and it's also worth noting here. And again, I apologize that, you know, we're talking about, you know, this is literally a life and death issue here. And we're talking mm-hmm. about how this, this impacts theme parks. But if we're we're being completely blunt here, that at least as far as Hong Kong Disneyland is concerned, which was having depressed attendance because of the the rioting in the streets and in, in Hong Kong mm-hmm. because of fugitive offenders amendment bill that, that was under consideration by the Hong Kong government. Um, you know, in a weird sort of way, they're like, "Oh, cool, we get to close our park, and then all that stuff goes away, and then we reopen it." This is the the weirder aspect of the story. Anyway, yeah, uh, I mentioned in passing the the, the whole Alibaba uh, facial recognition thing, and I, I bring that up because you came across uh, this amazing new patent that uh, Universal Parks and Resorts has uh, just managed to register. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about this smart virtual queue thing? Sure, uh, I I gotta give a a huge you know, assist for this from LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Go figure. So it looks like there is a an industrial engineer at Universal Orlando Resort that posted uh, on LinkedIn sharing that after three years of work, the systems and methods for a smart virtual queue patent was officially filed. Mm-hmm. Incredible stuff. It actually, the the post that this um, engineer, Austin Kelly, posted had like the, a photo of the the letter that they got from Mark Woodbury. <laughs> and amazing stuff. I, I got to share that with, with Universal Creative, they are always pushing the bounds and trying to think outside the box. And the fact that these guys have been working on a, a, a patent for three years just shows how incredible this is. Oh, no doubt. Um, now, the, the actual patent itself is... It's very interesting when you when you look at how many steps go into it. Basically, the idea is that there is a um, a fast pass system that they're utilizing for for a virtual queue. When you go to a theme park, there are things that you can be doing within the park that will continuously update your your queue. I am very interested to see how this is going to run. The figure that they put out there, the actual design has so many moving parts, Mm -hmm. but I love it. As a theme park fan, I love it. Well, it's interesting that this bubbled up today because, of course, over the past week or so, uh, we had some additional information uh, show up about uh, Universal Classic Monsters Land, which is uh, now the, the third land that we've had confirmed 
for uh, Epic Universe, the fourth park that Universal is building in Orlando. And before we continue here, I want to be sure that we credit Alicia Stella. Okay. Absolutely. Now, now, over at her absolutely excellent Orlando Park Stop website. Now, first of all, Alicia broke the story initially back in February of last year. She was the one who caught a hold of the, that document that, you know, the first made us all aware that uh, Universal Classic Monsters Land was in the works for, you know, mm-hmm. the fourth park. And to to give her credit, almost a year to that day, she's back with more hyper-detailed information about this new land for Epic Universe Land, that she did her due diligence, she did her her request for the permits for the land, and my God, if you go to her site right now, she's got the the lay of the land, lots of great detail about a possible location of ride shows and attractions, shops, and, and the like. But again, it's important to stress here that Epic Universe is not scheduled to open till 2023. So mm-hmm. I guess that the big question here, uh, Dustin, is could this new virtual queue system, the, the one that, you know, the patent, uh, be incorporated to Universal's fourth theme park? And I, see, my problem is that I, I can't help but think uh, back to uh, 1999. Mm-hmm. Which is when, uh, in fact, to, to be specific, July of 1999, that was when FastPass was first tested at Disneyland Park. Yes. And everybody was like, oh, this amazing system. And it's like, oh, my God, I don't have to stand in a line to get in a ride. I can book you know, a reservation in advance. And it was like, this will be cool. You know, that, that oh, my God, you guys are going to put this into Disney's California Adventure, right? And it's like, uh, no, we're not. Um, or at least we're not. You know, we broke ground for you know Disney's California Adventure back in 1997. Uh, yeah. You know, we we didn't build this park to be the first one to have Fast Pass automatically considered. And in fact, that was you may remember the early stories of, of Fast Pass when they were sending people up the exits. You know that the, yep. you know, and that there were actual fist fights from people who were standing in line who didn't understand why are you going to the front. Uh, You know, and this is the hard reality that, for example, like when FastPass Plus began testing at Walt Disney World in May of 2012 and, you know, and and Disney decided, okay, so it does work. The fact that every door of every hotel room on Disney World property had to be swapped out to accommodate Mm -hmm. magic bands. Likewise, all of the queue entry points, not to mention every uh, touch point purchase opportunity i mean it took years and millions upon millions of dollars it does look like this is what this patent is going to do though because Mm. what they're they're bringing together is a virtual queue system which is one wearable device Mm -hmm. which comprising of a near field communicator Mm -hmm. a medium range communicator and a long range communicator in addition to a display okay so there, there is a lot. What I would do if you are a theme park fan, and I know that everyone who's listening to this is, head over, just Google the patent. So it's a virtual queue system and method. Mm-hmm. And just read. It is, it, it's brilliant some of the, the technologies that have been utilized in addition to theme park methodology mm-hmm. that you can only dream about. Uh, because they're thinking long term and they're thinking about how to truly have a uh, an interactive experience that at the end of the day will impact each and every single 
person that goes into a theme park. Now, granted, it does look very similar to something like a magic band because it's wearable technology. But let's be honest, wearable technologies have been uh, taken to a whole new level. When you start looking at uh, within the Disney parks, you've got when you go on to an on-ride uh, or an attraction that has an on-ride photo, you don't have to tap your magic band anymore. It's automatically put into your account. We're now looking at that next stage. Okay. And I think the fact that this came out, awesome stuff. And with this connected with what Alicia is putting out there, which I don't know if Universal is is enjoying the fact that the patent office and the the Freedom of Information Acts are are being as thoroughly disclosed but uh i'm impressed with it okay now to, to, just a word of caution here that sure. I, you know I, again if you look at the diagram that goes with this this suggests slide you know as in water slide and more to the point you know that, that this references that they applied for a patent which they have received after three years if, if you're kind of working the math here i wonder how much of this is Tapu, oh, Volcano tapu, Bay. Tapu, Tapu-based. Yeah. Um, also, look, there are people at Walt Disney World today who, you know, when you bring up the cost of, you know, uh, again, we talked about replacing doors and touch points and, you know, queue entries and that sort of thing. And they said, don't, don't care. We, we made all the money back on turkey legs. You know, just, you know, the, <laughs> the, and, you know, but it's fascinating to me that Magic Bands and Fast Pass Plus, again, Debuted at Walt Disney World in 2012. We are now eight years later, and we are not seeing this technology at Disneyland. In fact, if anything, uh, think about it. The the boarding group's technology that that debuted with the opening day of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge uh, last May or thereabouts. And if you talk with folks at Disneyland, they will flat out tell you. It's like, well, there's a reason. We're not a destination resort. We are the world's most famous regional theme park. You know, our mix of tourists to locals is, is, you know, most a perfect inversion of Disneyland. And, you know, we'd have to to ask everybody uh, who's potentially coming to Disneyland to buy a magic band or maintain a magic band. And basically change the way that they've gone to Disneyland. Forever. And, you know, so that's one of the reasons why they actually have leaned into a uh, telephone-based system. In fact, uh, you know, if you talk with the folks at Disneyland, they've been eyeballing, you know, the opening of Rise of Resistance at that park as, you know, it's just like, oh, man, we wanted this to really go smoother than this because we were kind of hoping this was the future of Disneyland, that, you know, that, you know, instead of a magic band, you do everything through your phone. Because face it, everybody has a phone. Whereas not everybody has a, a magic band. And so anyway, to, to circle back to Universal here, uh, the other thing that, that we need to remind people about when it comes to Epic Universe is remember, this is supposed to be the first Universal Park that's made up primarily of a highly themed environment. So again, yes. if, you, you know, if you're in Universal Mon- Classic Monster Land, you're in Transylvania. If you're, you know, you go to How to Train Your Dragon Land, you're on the island of Burke. Uh, Super Nintendo Land, you're inside a game. But at the same time, remember, there was a reason that they went after this land right next to the, the convention center. And the whole notion was that, you know, in addition to having this amazing immersive land park, 
They were also going to be able to, in effect, close off each of these lands so that they could be then, after hours, you know, sold as a special convention perk to you know, any large group that was coming down. So, you know, the you, notion- you actually just brought up an amazing detail, and I don't want to go too far past it. You brought up Super Nintendo Land. Right. During the uh, videos and the introduction to Super Nintendo World and everything that Universal and Super Nin- and Nintendo put together, mm-hmm. one of the things that they showed was jumping up mm-hmm. and hitting a, a box right. and getting a coin. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this... Uh, technology uh, with a like a magic band style on your wrist could actually help gameplay. <sighs> you know, I've seen the video of the reporter jumping up and hitting the the coin box, and it, it's uh, forgive me. I'm looking at that and thinking this is more of an interactive wand thing. This is a oh, okay. This yeah, is yeah. a retail opportunity rather than enhanced <laughs> game gameplay. Yeah. Um, but but remember, getting back to the whole DCA, you know, why didn't they put FastPass in? Again, you know, remember, they're designing Epic Universe to accommodate after-hour crowds. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, so that's going to also factor into this. And But at the same time, there's going to be an education curve, you know, and more to the point, the admissions material or whatever, you know, they use for Epic Universe proves to be popular, perhaps they'll walk that out to uh, to the other Universal Parks. But remember, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about Walt Disney World right now, for example, the Magic Kingdom, uh, when it comes to FastPass Plus, has no tiered attractions. Uh, whereas, you know, if you go to Epcot, if you go to... Uh, well, the studios have Smuggler's Run, and I believe it's... Um is it Slinky Dog or is well, it Toy Story I, Mania? The point I was trying to make is the other three oh, parks sorry. do have, you know, tier one, tier two. Yes. And it's entirely possible when Tron comes online that perhaps that'll be the first tiered attraction. Yeah. At the, the, but again, it's just this whole notion of, think about it. You know, if you're somebody going to Walt Disney World right now, you have to mm-hmm. be familiar with the tiering of the Magic Pants. You have to understand that you need to have your phone out and be on Hollywood Boulevard before eight o'clock in the morning, get your boarding group for, you know, a rise of the resistance. And Mm -hmm. as a a friend who worked at the resort pointed out, said, you don't understand in 2021, we are inviting the entire world to come here for our 50th anniversary. And says, you know, we know from our own research there are billions, literally billions of people who've never been to Walt Disney World who don't understand magic pants, who don't understand boarding groups. Think about it. You're going to be standing in line behind these folks during the 50th anniversary <laughs> as some poor cast member has to explain, no, you, you have to touch the, the, the magic band thing there and then it will turn green and put your finger there and now we can go in the park. And, and, and you know what those those guests will say? What? Whoa. Oh, well, there we go. And that, that brings us to something <laughs> we'll, we'll be talking about in just a moment. And as Dustin just teased there, how many of you have seen the new Universal Parks and Resorts ad, Let Yourself Whoa? Now, which version have you seen, Dustin? Now, I know there's the, the North American English version with uh, Keenan Thompson from Saturday Night yep. Live. Uh, there's also Arturo Castro's version. He's been mm-hmm. a very popular comic on uh, Comedy Central. And yeah. they've got him 
by the way, folks, if you want to see something genuinely entertaining, if you head over to YouTube, there's a, a wonderful behind-the-scenes uh, <laughs> ad. Sort of shows Keenan and Toro sort of fumbling their way through doing this. Because, uh, again, they're shooting at a, a live theme park. But uh, just to double back to Keenan, what I love about this is that yeah, Keenan actually started off his career at Universal Studios Florida. He was a, a member of the uh, the cast of all that, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, the Keenan and Kel show was spun off from. And in fact, the Good Burger movie that Good came Burger, out, of, yeah. out of the sketch there. Yeah, welcome to but, Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? Yeah, you know, classic stuff. There you this go. is real comedy. <laughs> okay. But uh, you were saying you, you came across an, an interview with Keenan about he himself is excited about this gig? Yeah, over on the Universal Orlando blog, they did a, a sit-down interview with him. And, you know, some of the stuff that, that went through was was awesome. But um, when they asked him the question, like, tell me the experience about being part of the new Woe campaign, mm-hmm. uh He's like, I got to tell you, it's been incredible. There's uh, there's a lot of love here in Orlando, and it's been incredibly nostalgic for me because this is where I had my first job. We've been prepping 20 feet away from where I spent most of my teenage years, and I'm really excited to roll this out and see how people respond to the whole woe of it all, and it's going to be fun. And I, I got to say, with that type of thing, going back to the nostalgic and the idea of, you know, there, he was there. He was it's not just some some comedian, some actor that they hired to come in and explain what Universal is all about. That's where he spent most of his teenage years. It makes sense. But I think they got the tone of the uh, advertisement correct because there are experiences that you go through Universal and all you can do is sit back and be like, whoa. Well, but, but and, and it's interesting you bring that up. If I have to uh, nitpick. Um, sure. Well, first of all, again, they cut the national ad, so it highlights both Universal Orlando and Universal Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. And I really feel for the people who, in Florida, when people show up and it's like, I want to get on the Jaws ride, which I just saw in the ad that ran nationally. And it's like, oh, you're about 10 years too late. Um, yeah, oops. On, <laughs> on the other hand, I, I guess, again, it's just it's fascinating to me, you know, if you think about how much time and money Universal has spent on Harry Potter and sort of broadening the, the family appeal of the park. And, and But at the same time, here they are basically selling themselves as a throw park, a place that, where you go, whoa. Whereas you think about it, the most recent national Disney ad uh, for its theme parks, uh, you have a dad who's sadly looking at his iPhone, a, a footage of his daughter uh, when she was a little girl meeting Cinderella at the, the Magic Kingdom for the first time. And in the background, his daughter is getting ready to go off to college. And, and literally, the, you know, the catchphrase for this, this commercial is, you want to take them to Disney World because they're only little for a little while. And, you know, it's just sort of like, so again, you know, here's, here's Disney leaning into the nostalgia. And trust me, folks, you know, out ahead of the 50th anniversary, you have not seen anything yet. You know, they, they should send every home in North America a box of tissues. Um, <laughs> but uh, on the other hand, Universal, uh, if you take the 30,000 foot view, is actually making a conscious effort to distance at least one of its theme parks from that thrill-based reputation. In fact... Uh, case in point, did you see the, the news about how the the Walking Dead walkthrough attraction at Universal Studios Hollywood? It, it opened on the upper lot back in July of 2016, but it's closing next month 
on yeah, March Yeah, didn't 4th. even make it four years. Yep. That's, yep. that's crazy for that part. Well, you know, I mean, I just, I, I remember talking with John Murdy, the head of creator for, the, for that part. And at the time, I mean, they had done Walking Dead mazes for Halloween Horror Night two years prior. Uh, and they'd been hugely popular. And the show was was almost white hot at that point. I think, in fact, I think 2016 is the year that they split the series. They launched Beware of the, the Walking Dead. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, on paper, it made sense. And, and John was talking about the fact that in a weird sort of way, this allows us to have a Halloween horror night maze in the park year round. But the weird part of it was is that they really didn't factor in the how many families go to Universal Studios Hollywood, and the fact that you know there were so many families that could stay to would stand outside of that attraction, and go nope, you know, and go look for something else. So it 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 just didn't do the business that they thought. And when you think about just around the corner from that, you have uh, in effect your Illuminations Mini Land with. Uh, Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem, and Super Happy Funland, uh, mm-hmm. the, the little water park thing. And and now, uh, just about to open, The Secret Life of Pets Off the Leash. Oh, oh by the way, before I forget, I, uh, I want to give a shout out to Brian on the West Coast, who, as I was typing up the show notes for uh, today's show, was kind enough to share images. He was in the park today. And evidently the walls are down from the outside of the Secret Life of Pets off the Leaf show building. And man, Dustin, that structure looks like it's straight out of the movie. It looks like the real neighborhood. It's like a, it looks like it's been there for, for such a long time. Yeah, but now, <laughs> now the, the big question is, okay, so if Walking Dead shuts down, and the interesting mm-hmm. thing is that this means, by the way, that Basically, the folks who worked on Walking Dead are going to be retrained or have the opportunity to retrain for Secret Life of Pets off the leash. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but now you have an interesting piece of real estate open in the upper lot, you know, facing onto Universal Plaza. Now, do you think that with, um, with the Walking Dead attraction closing, is that one of those uh, E.T. extraterrestrial uh, wrong place, wrong time mentalities? Because... If it was down on the lower lot versus the upper lot, which let's be honest, a lot of the the families are, you know, hang around the upper lot because there's a lot more to do. Do you think that if they put that down on the lower lot, that it probably would have bought it another year or two? The the irony with that is that there's so much, you know, the real estate down there is so valuable between use for actual production on uh, NBC Universal Productions, uh, coupled with the fact that. You know, you actually have to block out space for really for real mazes for, you know, the Halloween Horror Nights. That So to take, you know, that space up with a permanent show uh, where, you know, the whole notion of getting people to buy that extra ticket, you know, to come back to the park in early September and all the mm-hmm. way to early November now. You know, that's an interesting question, though. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, get, I, I think you were right when you said white hot. Because at that type of a an experience, The Walking Dead was huge. Mm. And as uh, IPs change within the marketplace, mm. as we're seeing with Trolls and as we're seeing with The Secret Life of Pets and all these newer IPs coming in from DreamWorks, you're forgetting about some of the older ones like the Shreks and that kind of thing. But everything has its day. Well, and I think that Universal Hollywood has a lot more 
of that real estate fluctuation because unlike Orlando, where they do have a mix of the blessing of size, but also the blessing that they're not a functional studio, they can play with a lot more time. So it, it was a very interesting when it came out, like, oh, it, it didn't last four years, but it's also looking at it like, yeah, kind of makes sense. They're still going to have uh, the uh, Halloween Horror Nights. They can't get away with that. It's just too much of a uh, a crowd pleaser. And honestly, we're dealing with a, a newer style of immersive experiences. Well, so and, and we'll see. It, it's interesting you bring up Trolls because... Uh, we've got the brand new Trolls movie coming out on April 17th, uh, 2020. And as I understand it, dependent on how the box office for the sequel, remember the original Trolls came back out, out in theaters uh, November 2016. So, you know, again, less than four years ago now. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a possibility that continuing the kid friendly. Uh, aspect of the upper lot that perhaps it, something related to the trolls would appear there. And, and certainly, you know, I mean, Universal is definitely leaning into the trolls lately. The Poppy Branch and Guy Diamond are serving as the hosts of Universal Studios Hollywood's next running uh, Universal event, which will be held mm -hmm. uh, the weekend after this new DreamWorks animation movie opens in theaters. Uh, that opens on April 17th, and on Sunday, April, April 26th, uh, that'll be when the 5K, the 10K, plus the kids 1K will be run, and all people who participate will get a medal that features the characters from Trolls. And by the way, I, while we're talking about uh, Universal running events, while we were away, Universal Orlando had its running Universal event, the Epic Character 5K and 10K, which was held back on... February 2nd. And I think, Dustin, you were talking about you were watching a GoPro of this or? Yeah, um, I, I like to make the joke that uh, anyone who does these these runs and they go with a GoPro, I'm getting my exercise just by watching them on YouTube. Ah. Uh, so <laughs> it, and especially when they're eating the voodoo donuts. So there are lots of things going on. But what I saw was that it was um, they had weather issues. And let's be honest, in February, uh, there are always days where you never know if it's going to be uh, cold or rainy. And because it was a character uh, run and it was built around, you know, seeing all these characters uh, with rain, they really couldn't do that. And they couldn't take the uh, chance to have character meet and greets set up and all the, the time and the expense that would take to set those up just to have it rained out. So what they ended up doing was they'd have a couple of uh, roaming characters uh, set up, but most of them were ducking underneath uh, the end. So as soon as you finished, they'd have a spot in the, I believe at the back lot, it was right in behind, um, I'm trying to remember where it was. Uh, it was- Jimmy uh, Fallon, I think, yeah. Yeah, and they had that set up and then they had um, just a lot of, a lot more flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I was impressed with uh, with the the style and all the the ins and the outs that they did with running uh, the race uh, trail mm -hmm. and where they went. But there is a distinct difference as a theme park fan between the 5K and the 10K, because for the 10K, you got to go in behind, uh, you know, all the Harry Potter stuff. Uh, so that was a big draw for me to, you know, think long term about running a, a 10K well, someone GoPros it. Uh, but it was definitely a different experience. It looked like everyone had a blast. Uh, but the thing that really struck me was that uh, Universal created a partnership with Voodoo Donuts mm -hmm. and actually had 
distinct donuts that were available for people who uh, actually ran the race. So that was pretty cool. I have to admit. Uh, by the way, you mentioned uh, folks running behind Harry Potter. I wanted to give a shout out to our buddy BioReconstruct, who evidently took part in uh, the, the Orlando Running Universal event earlier this month. And he sent me images of these two statues that um, I don't know how many of you remember the original arches uh, when you entered when there was just Universal uh, you know, Studios Florida. You know, but that there were these two very distinct gargoyles that sort of flank the gates, and evidently they're still there. They're still out back, and they are they're they're so wonderfully detailed. I I really kind of hope that when they were they're finally finishing up uh, Universal Classic Monster Land for Epic Universe, and you know I don't know if it's Frankenstein's Castle or Dracula's Castle, whatever the giant. You know Alicia would know more about this than I would. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know that that's. I hope they find a home for these things over there because they are so beautiful. Let's see what else. Oh, uh, we should. Oh, Mardi Gras. Yeah, Mardi Gras. A couple things. Want to let you folks know that starting uh, just this past weekend. Uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th, the Free Agents Brass Band, um, which is a very, very special jazz band, by the way, folks. This is a group that's formed by a bunch of jazz musicians who were forced to leave New Orleans after Hurricane Kachina, uh, you know, hit back in August of 2005 and effectively uh, drowned the city. And and they sort of formed this group as... as uh, New Orleans expatriates and to keep the music and the jazz and the second line dancing alive. So it's genuinely sweet that they're part of Universal's Mardi Gras celebration. If, on the other hand, you have no interest in, you know, like preservation hall music, I, I want to point out that this coming Saturday, February 22nd, Cool and the Gang are going to be performing at Universal Studios Florida as part of the Mardi Gras celebration at the park. Um, that was a big get for Universal right there. That was, that was. I, I love Cool and the I've always loved them. But every so often, there will be a list of these festivals because they need to provide entertainment. Mm -hmm. And some of the, the groups that they can find, I'm just like, oh, that hits with the nostalgia. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of nostalgia, for those of us like myself who have been going to Universal since the Central, the first Central Florida theme park, Open back in June of 1990, one of the, the big thrills of going to Universal was you could see actual TV shows or movies being made. In fact, that was the first time I saw Keenan Thompson. I, I attended a taping of all that. I think I may have actually seen he and, and Kel do a good burger sketch there. But, uh, oh, nice. but, but anyway, uh, I bring this up because... Coming up in, I want to say it's it's February 28th, they're going to, in fact, you know, remember when we were talking about how uh, when they opened the Today Show Cafe last year that, you know, wouldn't it be cool if they, they sent Al Roker down to do a stand-up, you know, inside the, the restaurant there, you know, so. Are, are you telling me before we get into the story that I should have bet on red instead of betting on black well because I, <laughs> I i could have made so much money off this i you you, you could have because it, it, it turns out on friday uh, february 28th uh they're not just doing a stand-up they're doing the entire four hour broadcast of the today show out of the today show cafe which um given how tiny that space is 
Um, I don't understand this, but but Al's yeah. supposed to be down. And the interesting thing is that, you know, Hoda and the bunch for the, the after show are also going to be there. So if you're a fan of how things are made, you know, from a broadcast point of view, this would be a great day to be in the park. And grab that Al's chicken, uh, the Southern chicken biscuit slider I, plat, uh, platter and just just I, go win with expectations. I, the more That's to the point, I don't expect to be able to get a breakfast sandwich I, in that. I, I would be honestly surprised if, if the day before people will be able to get into that thing, you know, between the. Oh, the, yeah. Just, just location wise. Yeah. So and, and by yeah. the way, February 28th, also Universal's newest horror, horror movie, The Invisible Man. Arrives in theaters that same day. Again, want to warn folks, this is a Blumhouse production, so it's a contemporary take on the classic tale. Sars Elizabeth Moss, I think we mentioned on, on the last show, this is this looks like a hard R horror. Uh, so I don't anticipate we'll be seeing this version of The Invisible Man show up in Universal Classic Monster Land over at Epic Universe. But but what about, did you see that, that story that broke just last week about the Monster Mash project that Universal picked up? Oh yeah, it's confirmed that that's going to to Epic Universe, right? Mm. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, it's it, it's funny thinking about all these these different Universal monsters and how many they have and what they could do with it. Well, so when that came out, I was just like, hmm. Well, I, I guess for me, you know, well, first of all, if you you look at the article in the trades, it it doesn't mention at all uh, the Bobby Boris Pickett novelty song from '62, the the Monster Man song. Uh, it mentions that uh, Matt Stwowski, uh, who's a veteran's video director, came up with the concept, and he's working in a script with Will Widger. And, you know, just to sort of circle back to what we were talking about earlier, that if, you know, the Walking Dead attraction didn't succeed with with families who were visiting Universal Studios Hollywood, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, a, a land that actually has the name Monsters in it, it's going to be something of a challenge to get small children to go into. Um, so maybe the, this Monster Mash project is actually part of that. Maybe they're looking to put some more kid-friendly characters in and, you know, maybe... On top of Scooby-Doo, on top of all the other yeah, uh, you know, that, that's it. IPs that we've heard. Yeah, it's just, it's going to be intriguing to see what happens here. And yeah. Again, okay, so but that that's for, for future shows. And speaking of future shows coming up, as we look, you know, ahead to March, we've got March seventeenth. We've got the phase one of Darkside Inn and Suites is opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the half of the rooms for that two thousand fifty room value resort uh, will open on that date. And when the rest of the rooms for the Darkside Inn and Suite open later this year. Uh, that hotel automatically becomes one of the biggest resorts on International Drive. Uh, and, and likewise, uh, oh, oh, we didn't even talk about Peacock Live. Uh, okay, which... It's okay. It's it's coming. It's coming. Okay. Well, that that's March 28th, 29th, folks. And I promise on the next show we'll, we'll do a deeper dive on that. But anyway, Dustin, so while people are waiting for that, they can, of course, you know, enjoy the weekly episodes of uh, We Like Theme Parks. Uh, but... What else you got going on online? I'm still over at stepstomagic.com, Universal, Disney trip planning, top 10 lists, 
a lot of cupcakes, uh, as well as uh, I'm over on Instagram. So at Dustin Foose, um, and, you know, I'm just having fun. Uh, you know, being over here on the, the Universal Joint podcast is always a blast. And, you know, you're you're still what? I think the, the seven or eight shows that you have is probably not helping your voice. Well, you know, that's the problem with podcasts is they just don't work as mime. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of the other shows, we've got Disney Dish with Len Testo. We have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We have Looking at Lucasfilm with the amazing Dan Z. Uh, we have Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the, the very talented gentleman who edits a lot of the shows here. And we have I Want That with Michelle Valladolid, which is all about Disney merch. Uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do Dustin and I a favor, uh, if you get over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only the show you're listening to now, but theme parks, that would be helpful. Uh, if you really, really, really like what we do here, uh, you could go head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And Dustin, you mentioned your social media presence. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News.